This is episode 38, Law for Creative Small Business Owners with Ali Moore and Ashley Basta. And this is Erica here. What's up, everyone? How are you doing today? This episode, let's see, it's for a pretty specific demographic, right? So if you're tuning in, my guess is that you are a creative small business owner. Maybe you're a photographer or a coach or something along those lines. Or maybe you're a creative who has a skill and you dream of one day turning that into a way of making income, whether it's your full-time income or part-time income. And with that comes a lot of questions about how do I protect myself legally, right? We all have to have contracts as creative small business owners. And I know that was a big barrier for me and something I worried about when I started my coaching business and it took about a year before I really upped my game and reached out to get some support from from lawyers and that's how I found Ashley and Allie and I'm glad I did because it really makes a difference when you work with someone who that you are their ideal client. So I am a creative small business owner. Ashley and Allie specialize in working with creative small business owners. And it was an amazing experience to get to see how they run and operate. And after going through the experience, I was like, you need to come on the podcast because there are other people like me out there. I know I have a ton of health coaching colleagues who get a little scared about the legal side of things. So I'm excited that we'll be able to get this education out there and just show you that you have allies. <laughs> you don't have to go through this alone. But who are Ashley and Allie? Let me tell you a little bit about them. They are small business lawyers who share their client's vision for a life by design. They both graduated at the top of their class and had steady, lucrative career paths in government, private practice, and academia laid out for them. But when they tuned in to what was true for them, they knew in their hearts that life was about more than money and prestige and that it was worth taking a leap to discover what was possible. They escaped the big law rat race and started their own tiny firm because they want to experience the joy and freedom that comes from working for themselves in support of their larger vision for the world. And they aim to offer legal services in a way that honor their client's larger vision while giving them practical tools to get there. And since I've worked with them personally, I can say that all of that is true. And it's really refreshing to find lawyers who also just feel kind of like home, if that makes sense. So if you are a creative small business owner and looking for some support in figuring out all the legal stuff that goes into starting and growing your business, reach out to them because even if you're not in Colorado where they're located, I know that they just love to educate and they can consult with you on certain things. So with that, the only thing I'll say is, as always, if you love the show, if you've been listening for a while, or if this is your first episode, if you find value in what you hear All that Lauren and I ask is that you either share the episode with someone who might find value in it so you can help grow our community. Uh, Maybe you know a creative small business owner who can benefit from the information shared in this episode because I know I learned a ton and I had already worked with Ashley and Allie. So um, this 
information just really needs to get into the right hands. So maybe you can help us with that. Or if you haven't taken the time to rate and review the podcast, that would mean the world to us. So just go to your favorite podcast platform, wherever you might be listening to this. Give us a rating that you think is fair and then leave a review and let us know what you're loving about the show. And with that, let's get on to mine and Lauren's conversation with Ashley and Allie. Hello, everyone. (laughs) Welcome back. Today, we are joined by Allie Moore and Ashley Basta of Creatives Learn a Lot. Ladies, thank you so much for being here today. Our pleasure. Yeah. So let's jump right into it because with four of us chatting on a 50-ish minute episode, we have a lot to cover. To so. get out of control real quick. Real, real fast. <laughs> so first of all, the way that I found you two is you both, well, Ashley helped me set up my LLC for my business. You two specialize in helping creatives figure out this whole law thing, which can be kind of confusing for us sometimes. So tell us, I don't know if Ashley or Ellie wants to take this, but how did you two come together to start working together and specializing in such a kind of niche area of law? I'll take a shot at it to start. So Allie and I were best friends in law school and we both really had the personal experience of being creative, open-hearted people in a high pressure, high intimidation environment. And we really were each other's buoys, I think, during that during that time. After law school, we both went on to work in various stable jobs, government work. Allie worked at firm for a while. And then I left to travel the world at the beginning of the pandemic that trip was cut short very quickly and it gave us an opportunity to reevaluate what we really wanted to do. At the time, Allie had already started her law firm to serve creatives. She's a decades long photographer and I was working as a yoga teacher on the side. And so we saw this possibility that maybe we could serve creatives and wellness-based businesses more broadly. So Allie invited me to join her in May of 2020 and we we want to do this work specifically because we're both creatives ourselves. We know what it's like to be intimidated by the law. And I think we both really have a vision for what kind of world could be possible if creative, heart-forward people felt empowered to make beautiful things in the world. Yeah. What would you have, Allie? I think that that pretty much nails it. It was, we just, I think there are a lot of questions that our colleagues have about, about the way that the law works. And we realized like, oh, we can answer all of those questions and we can make people feel better (laughs) when we answer them. So now we're figuring out how to, you know, make it a sustainable income generating (laughs) living wage paying business. But it's, it's like a perfect fit for our experience and our skills and and our passions. Yeah, absolutely. And as far as, you know, someone, well, both Lauren and I would consider ourselves creatives. Lauren is kind of on the business coaching side of the house. So she probably feels a lot more comfortable with the types of things that you help people with. For me, it was very, you know, like, feel called to do this work and I want to do it. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, there's like all these, there's all this stuff, like this red tape and obstacles and challenges and things that you have to do. So, I mean, I know why your work is so important because I've already experienced the benefit of it, but, and you've touched on a little bit of it too, but like, why is it so important for us creatives to go out there and not let these little bumps and obstacles that maybe seem overwhelming get in the way of the work we're doing? Because we want your businesses to be sustainable. 
is the short answer. The longer answer is that the law may not have been made with creative businesses in mind. And so most creatives don't really find themselves thinking about it until something goes terribly wrong and they've got a client dispute or someone threatening to take them to court or they're in a conflict with a partner or a contractor or they realize there was this gaping hole in their contract and they're out a lot of money. And we want people to feel like they understand the law before they're in that really high stress environment where they have to figure it out where it's by necessity. And it's like anything, it's just a tool. We found that it can actually be used for good in addition to evil. <laughs> and we want people to feel like in addition to just being a way out of a conflict, the law can be something that makes them feel really empowered and legit in their businesses. Like they are their own CEOs. They're building a livelihood for themselves and they can really count on it. Like it's not a, it's not a side job. It's a, it's a business and it's a, it's a career path that is viable for the long haul. I like that you're using the word empowering so frequently, because that's my favorite word to use with creatives when I'm talking about business structures, accounting very specifically, people are really afraid of the numbers, but just like the law, if your contracts aren't appropriate. If your business bank accounts aren't set up and you're not withholding for taxes as a 1099 contractor, you're pretty much screwed right out of that. And it's nice to be able to make law and finance and, you know, business strategy less intimidating. And you guys, there's such a huge market for what you do. I, I dip into the law here and there just as like a general knowledge person who's owned businesses for 10 years, but having especially women who are also creatives and aren't just doing it because you found a hole in the marketplace. That's huge. You know, the starving artist thing is, is something that doesn't have to exist. And that's kind that's of, that's how I actually source a lot of my clients is like, are you tired of being a starving artist? <laughs> artist of any kind, like graphic design, you know, I'm a musician too. So I have like a, a real creative brain like that. Just, I mean, we end up as business owners doing our, a lot of tasks that we never thought we would and is necessary, isn't necessarily part of our technical skills. Yeah. And I think one of the, dare I say, confusing things about this of why maybe someone would be like, I don't need to hire an attorney yet. That sounds really official and scary is because especially in this day and age, there are so many tools that make starting your business unofficially so easy. Like when I wanted to get started, someone was like, just start an Instagram and start sharing your message. And then like, I, like, I was very fortunate that six months later, I got my first client and I was like, whatever, I'm just going to help people and do what I'm passionate about. And then, you know, however many years later, it was like, oh, I should probably figure, you know, make this official. So, you know, maybe that's one common not mistake, but like, I don't know if you all are familiar with human design, but I'm a manifester. I run off my emotional urges. I'm just like, I have an idea and I want to go do it. I don't want to have to stop and like figure out the, the things I have to do. So besides maybe just getting started before you're ready, which is a common, like, just do it, go give it a try. Like, what are some other things that come up for creatives that you find that kind of get in the way of them really like officially establishing that foundation that is so important? I think that one, one thing that Erica, what you said really rings true, I think about it's a chicken and an egg problem. Like you don't want to go spend money forming an entity on the secretary of state's website and putting contracts in place. And you don't know if there are clients that are going to 
spend money with you to justify putting all this infrastructure in place. So certainly not knowing what you're doing when you're getting started, but you know, Ashley and I like really believe that especially in unregulated creative businesses, there are more ways to go right than go wrong. And even if you do just sort of start, you know, putting yourself out there, taking money from people without having contracts and without having an LLC, as long as you're reporting your income with the IRS, you're on a really good path. Mm. Remember that no matter how you receive income, whether as long as you're exchanging services and it's not a gift, it's taxable. Even if you don't receive a 1099 or W2, you need to tell the IRS about that money. But if you do that and you don't have a limited liability entity, that's all right. Like you can get to the place where you set up a limited liability entity. Most businesses don't require any sort of license depending on your locality, right? At the state level in Colorado, we don't have a general business license. Many counties or cities don't require a business license either. So just starting a business and taking money from people, that's okay. But certainly as you grow and as you're like, okay, I'm, I'm consistently earning revenue failing once you start realizing that like you're working with clients over and over again and you have policies you want to enforce with your clients and you have an idea of what those policies are not getting a contract that it aligns with what you want like that's a pretty big mistake like getting a contract from a friend or getting a contract from legal zoom or just the internet that you actually don't really maybe know what's in there. You're just like, this seems right. That's just going to not set you up for success with your client relationships. So that's like a big mistake that we see people make. And also I think like we talked about empowerment and particularly when women run small businesses and creative small businesses, telling themselves that they're like not the kind of person that's good with money or they're not the kind of person that's good with contracts or with enforcing policies and then kind of ignoring it. That's a huge mistake too, because these issues are really like they're achievable. They're doable. You just have to take a little bit of time and do them. And you don't know if you're good at something if you've never tried it. Yeah. Or if you never tried it with the right help. (laughs) Yeah. And ask for help. If you don't know how to do something, I guarantee you someone out there does. And that's another big mindset thing, especially for women business owners is like, it's okay to ask for help. You're better off asking. There's no morality to questions. Like just ask. Yeah. I've even gone as far to catch myself every time I have the thought, I have no idea what I'm doing, which comes up at least 20 times a day. And I just stop and I'm like, I know exactly what I'm doing. I, if anything, I know the next step. So I'll just focus on that. But it's true. We can psych ourselves out and just be like, it's paralysis by analysis, right? You're overthinking it. What do I need to do? What do I need to do? I mean, even with, with you two, when I found your Instagram, it was just, it was just like lights and bells and like, this is what I need. And so it was nice. It still took me a little while to pull the trigger and be like, okay, I'm going to, you know, invest in this. And, and it was just so nice, even just to get on the phone with you, Ashley, and like, have you explain everything in common people terms and like, okay, I feel good about what I'm doing. And it was like a little bit of a a confidence boost too. That is so good to hear. I love it. I, what Ali said is right. This stuff is totally masterable. Like it's made to be something I think about a lot is that it was kind of made to be complex. I think because it's more convenient for only the really expensive fancy lawyers to be able to serve clients. And it's more convenient for only really giant businesses to be able to succeed. But it's actually when it comes to really small businesses, when it comes to creatives like yourselves and like us, the legal issues are pretty simple and straightforward. And it's just a matter of translating them and saying them over and over in a lot of different ways so that we, so that we all can understand. Yeah. And then just by that step, when you move forward as a creative, because when you're in this 
type of business, your business grows and evolves as you grow and evolve. So that's why if you went to look at what my business was a year and a half ago and who I was trying to serve versus now, you'd be like, is was that a different person? Cause it's changed and grown so much. And I fully plan on evolving as I go too. But now it's like, I have that jumping off point where I feel that I'm like, okay, at least there's, you know, a solid surface beneath me. So. Yeah. I love that. In law school, we talked a lot about writing memos that were really, really long and then distilling them down to the most salient information, the most mm-hmm. potent pieces of information. And I think that what you're, what you're talking about is kind of that when we build our businesses and Ali and I are definitely in that process too, of clarifying our ideal client and how we want to work with people and making the client experience more impactful and more meaningful and more enjoyable. And it's like, we start, you start as a small business owner Sometimes I feel like it's so meta because we support small businesses in getting started, but we're also a pretty baby business. We started only nine months ago. And so we're learning as we go as well when it comes to things like marketing and systems. And it's hopeful for me to think that you could start with a lot of details and just distill, 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 and home in on exactly what you want to be doing and how you want to be doing it. We quote Maya Angelou all the time, like, you know better, you do better. And we're just getting more information about how we want to run our businesses. Well, isn't being a business owner a creative process? Ultimately, like yeah. <laughs> we're constantly evolving. Our business is getting fine-tuned and we try things that don't work, like whether it's a little bit don't work or spectacularly don't work. Yeah. And as a business owner, having your support and that type of thing, it takes a lot of the anxiety out of the contract side specifically. Because a lot of people don't even realize there's liability to the potential ser- the service that they're they're providing until something goes wrong. So it's almost like an insurance policy by working with people like you at the beginning mm-hmm. instead of waiting till something goes wrong. Yeah. And we always say buy a real insurance policy. Oh, too. Yeah. <laughs> but I think you're right, Lauren, like if you don't think about running a business as a creative process, then you're going to hate running a business because it's not despite what you always hope for, it's not linear. It just, yeah. Yeah. So we talked a little bit about why it's important to think about this stuff in the beginning, like maybe not right when you get started, but at some point in the beginning, like setting that foundation, but also something that happens with creatives is we are personally invested in our work, right? It's often a reflection of who we are, whether it's art or I'm a coach or whatever. And so maybe we get, we get to that point where there are problems. Like maybe you get that first client dispute or someone's not happy with your services. And it can be so easy to get like just super personally involved with your work. How do, how do we start setting those boundaries of like business, versus creative, what has been your experiences in your own businesses and then with your clients and helping them navigate that? So my personal, my, so I, I think because I was a photographer for 10 years, not that like being a yoga instructor doesn't involve like a degree of creative discretion, but like giving people visual art, I think is like a really (laughs) tangible way to think about this. I always always felt better at the end of an interaction with a client. If I thought of myself as a business owner first and an artist second, but that is my personal preference. I'm not somebody who takes, like I have clients that will get really wrapped up in the word copyright. They don't want to assign their clients copyright because as creators, whether you've written content or you've photographed or made a video, you want it to belong to you. 
And I'm like, you know what? This is a business and everything has a price. So when you're talking about what you want to sell to your client, you need to think, what does it cost me to sell this to my client? What am I giving up and assign the right price? But also as, as lawyers, we take the lead from our clients. So if we have clients that see themselves as artists first or creatives first and business owners second, and that their number one goal is to protect their artistic integrity and to protect their identity as somebody who creates, then we talk with them about how to message that throughout the client experience, like how to make that clear in your marketing, because some people want to go out and hire somebody that they're like this person, you know, whether they are a coach or they're a visual artist, like their reputation speaks for themselves. And what I want is to work with that person, the way that they work. And some clients go out and they say, I want someone who's going to work, you know, and take direction from me and, and be really responsible responsive to me. And you just have to put it out there and in your marketing, in your email sequences to your clients, whatever, whatever your approach to like business and, and creative mindset is, it has to be clear to your client through the whole process. And if you can do that, then you'll find the right clients who, who match with you where we get huge problems is where people maybe like have a particular view on their artistic integrity, haven't communicated it to their clients up front, And then the product's been delivered. And now the client is disappointed. So it's all about like whatever your position is, communicating it clearly. Yeah. What I would add to the clarity of communication is being really clear about who you are and why you're in this work. And if I can draw from my work in wellness, I often talk to people and they feel a little bit weird about giving formal contracts to their clients because we're in this really heart-centered space and sometimes their clients are their friends. And I super get it why it might feel a little bit awkward to use a legal document with somebody when you're engaged in something that feels like spiritual work or like deeply healing work. But the metaphor that I like to really lean into, and you said it, Erica, is boundaries. And boundaries make the creative experience possible. They're what make us feel safe. They're what make us know where we want to go and where we're not willing to go. And so I think really reflecting on that and thinking about contracts and business entities and the lines that you draw with your clients as boundaries that support the long-term viability of your business can help. And then if you do have a dissatisfied client, we get a lot of calls from people who have have clients that are unhappy with what they've received and they're demanding a refund. And we have a great educational video out there that Allie really taught me a lot about why it's not always the best thing to hire a lawyer, because if you have a client who is not wanting to pay you, then you already have, you're basically already out money. And so if you pay for a lawyer to help you go get that money, what Ali always says that I appreciate is like, you're throwing good money after bad. It's not necessarily the most strategically effective thing to do. Sometimes it comes down to just a personal inquiry of how much can I afford? Is there a amount that would be worth it for me to get this situation to go away? Maybe it's worth a partial refund, even if my contract is super solid and I don't owe a refund on the contract, maybe there's a way that I can resolve this without having to hire a lawyer, without having to go to small claims court. But the benefit of having a really clearly written contract that you've communicated with your client in advance is that hopefully you don't have that kind of miscommunication or disagreement down the line because everybody was really clear going in on what the expectations were. Yeah. And that's one reason that I really appreciate you too, is because you take a very holistic approach to all this almost. Like, it's not just like, this is a law and that's how you do it, but just like, hey, sometimes it's not going to be right to hire an attorney. Or what I think I've also heard you two talk about before is like that customer service aspect of it. So if you have a client dispute, 
maybe don't jump to like, Oh, you need to pay me now or something. It's like go in and be like, okay, well, what's going on? And who knows whatever's wrong on the client's end probably doesn't have anything to do with you anyway. Right. They're having a bad day. They, whatever is going on. So it's a matter of like putting your customer service detective hat on and being like, okay, well, what's going on here? Is there any way we can come to an agreement? And then do you too recommend it all? Like, one thing I think about is, you know, I have my contract and I feel good about it, but I rarely, actually, I don't know if I've ever taken the time to like go through the contract with my clients to be like, okay, are you sure you understand? It's just like, here's the contract. They send in like, okay, I have their signature, but is there an aspect there that like, like, okay, it's kind of our responsibility as business owners to go through that, that contract with them. From a practical perspective, totally, because your contracts are binding on your clients, whether or not they read them. Like that's a common misconception is that if you don't read the contract, then it's not binding, but it is. And so if your client feels like they are bound by something that they don't understand, then that's just practically more likely to result in some conflict down the line. And so it just helps to avoid potential conflict if you have an opportunity to explain everything, which is why we really want our clients to understand how their contracts work so that they can answer questions that their clients give to them. I don't think that necessarily has to look like, like for wedding vendors, it might look like a sit down conversation where, or for coaches that are entering into like a six or 12 month coaching agreement, like it might be like, Initial. Initial. Yeah. <laughs> but for there are other ways, right? Like it doesn't have to be like either you're having a meeting where you're essentially reading your contract to your client or you're not. Like if anybody uses canned emails through a client relationship manager, like I love canned emails as a way to send your clients reminders about when important policies come into play. So like if you're delivering somebody like a written plan at the end of their relationship with you, remind them what they can and can't do with the plan. Like you probably don't want them posting it on a website, you know, things like that. Like you're reminding them of those policies at the time when it's relevant to them in the relationship. Ashley and I just recorded videos that we like send our clients a video. Well, once they're finished, but you know, we will send our clients a video at onboarding and then a video at wrap up, not necessarily to enforce our contract policies, but so we know that they're, that they're expecting the right things from us. So there's lots of different ways to do that. But if you want your clients to really understand a contract policy, then don't just leave it in the contract. Some things like liability waivers and like venue provisions that say, if there's a dispute, it's going to be in Denver County court. Like nobody wants to talk about that. <laughs> like, like that stuff, that, but that stuff doesn't really get explained. But the, the stuff about intellectual property, the stuff about deadlines that will really impact your working process. I think you want to talk about that. Yeah. And I think in my world, it comes up because with health and wellness coaching, so often it's like, okay, you are investing to get this particular outcome. However, none of those outcomes are guaranteed and it's really up to you. And then also like the way that I format everything, there's a lot of one-on-one attention involved, especially if someone's doing like a three, four or five month package where it's like they get access to me via Voxer, mm-hmm. you know, whenever they want. But a lot of the times that's not being used every day. And so sometimes I worry, I'm like, oh, like, are, do they feel like they're getting enough out of this? But then I'm like, well, it's in the contract. Like, like it's here if you need it. So I think that's where that question came up for me. It's like, well, maybe going through, I mean, I talk about it in some capacity, but going through like, okay, this is what you're signing up for, but this is your responsibility as coachee to take advantage of this and, you know, utilize these services. So it's definitely something to, something for me to consider. So I'm learning. I like your, I like the way you said that whole 
part, Ali, about like communicating throughout the contracted relationship. Yeah. Like that's something I kind of do, but not in any kind of structured way. But that helps maintain boundaries and expectations. So that's definitely a hack. I've been writing your hacks down as we've been going. <laughs> Like that's a big one. And that's one I had not thought about. And it, I mean, it would serve all of my businesses and yeah, yeah. Try practice as a business owner first and maybe a creative second to like check in with yourself. Also, it's kind of an accountability yeah. opportunity too. And I love the idea of videos. I yeah. Love- people like videos. <laughs> no one wants to read, you know, the long post or the whatever it's like just give me a quick video that gives me the information I need and yeah, having it where it's like you know once a month once a week whatever it needs to be just like hey reminder this is what's going on with you for the next few weeks so that's awesome and in this moment in time to have anything that's a moving face on a screen like to, it feels a lot more personal to like yeah make that effort especially in, in the world of zoom now yeah. it's like everyone ex- <laughs> I'm like I want to see your face what's going on over there yeah. A contract is a really bad place to like connect with someone. A contract is a really good place to protect yourself and to like, make sure you lay it all out in one spot, but it's a really bad place to like get a message through. <laughs> That's yeah. important. That's an important point. It's just, it's a tool. It's not it's cool. meant to create any kind of like intimate or not even intimate, but like being a coach and having clients, That's it's, form of intimate relationship. Mm-hmm. Totally. But that's not the place. Like the contract is putting the agreement in writing. It's not building the agreement. Yes. In the first place. Yes. Write that down. <laughs> <laughs> so let's see. Some other, you got, you are all full of information. One thing that I'd love for you to talk about is like, let's do some social media best practices, maybe around like giveaways are really popular for creatives, right? It's a great way to grow your following Mm -hmm. or just engage your current audience, get some engagement. But I assume there are some laws and things out there, right? There's a a lawful way to do them or not to do them. What are some common mistakes you two see? And then maybe some hacks or strategies for doing stuff like that in a good way. Yeah. I love this question. Everybody's doing giveaways. It's a really great way to build engagement on your page. And it's also one of the things that's often overlooked because you'll see lots of examples out there for people not following the platform's rules or maybe breaking the the laws against gambling and knowing how to do it legally is going to make your promotions eventually rise up because those promotions can get taken down and yours won't. High level, you've got to follow both the law and the rules of the platform that you're on. The law, the big one, the legal restriction is that gambling and private lotteries are not allowed. So unless you have a license, gambling is a really highly regulated industry. Unless you have a license, you can't do like a pay to play, like a pay for a entry into a sweepstakes or something like that, Mm. or pay to enter into a contest. It starts to look like gambling. That's illegal. You also can't discriminate on the basis of a protected class. That's one legal restriction that I would have. Can I add one thing about pay to play? Because I think a lot of people don't realize that if you do things like you have to tag 10 friends in order to be able to enter like, like that could start looking like lawyers call consideration. Like you, people don't need to earn their entries. They have to have ways they can enter without, without doing work that is, you know, that they're earning it. Yeah, that's right. Like it's not just dollars. It could be your time or your contacts 
or your platform. Then the other thing that you have to follow in addition to the law is the platform rules. And the big thing there is that like Facebook and Instagram are the big ones and they're now owned by the same company. And that they really, they just don't want you to mess up their algorithm. Like they put a lot of time into their algorithm and they don't want you to screw it up, which means you can't ask people to go and inaccurately tag a photo, like tag themselves in a photo that's not of them. Or you can't ask people to go and leave a review for you in order to enter if that's not an accurate review based on your experience of working with the company. Other things are encouraging other people to go do false photo tagging or requiring people to post on their personal page. On Facebook, promotions are limited to groups and business pages. You can't promote a a contest on your personal page or ask people to go use their personal page to promote. Instagram is a lot more spacious because there aren't those different tools, but they're still really concerned about not having you falsely tag a photo. And then, and they also really just want to make sure that it's clear that Facebook and Instagram aren't sponsoring any promotions that you do. So when you take on the responsibility of writing official rules, which is a best practice that can make really clear that you're not in engaged in illegal gambling and that you are communicating clearly to your people how they enter and what they'll win. You also want to say this is not formally associated with or administered by whatever social media platform you're using. So I think one sort of takeaway that I got, Ashley did great research about this and like made a video about it. And one takeaway that I got from watching Ashley talk about it too, is that like for the most part, if you're asking people to enter by like leaving a comment or giving your email address for the mailing list, or there, maybe there are multiple ways to enter. Like you can enter by sharing something to your stories or by sharing something to a group. One of those methods of entry has to be something that really doesn't benefit you at all. That's how you make sure you're not requiring people to to gamble. So just giving you their email address or means of contact without consenting to adding your mailing list, that needs to be one of the ways that people are able to enter so that you make sure that you're not running like a raffle where people are paying in terms of giving you their information or or tagging their friends to win the prize. It has to be no, no benefit to you that that person has entered at least one means of entry that's available. And you can put that no benefit to you form on your website, which I'm not going to say is a benefit to you, but you can drive traffic to your website. It's not like a legal tip, but it is, there are ways to also maximize engagement on your through your promotions and still do it legally. And that's one way so that you don't have to count individual likes or tags. You can just have people fill out a form and say, I did this many, I did this task and here's my contact info and you're not going to use my contact info. So it's just an, it's a no pay to play entry. And then you can also, another really good thing that I found in researching is that you can ask people to share something that's relevant to your business. Like what's the number one health challenge that you face? comment on this post with the number one health challenge you face or like, let us know what your favorite way to do X is. And then you're getting user generated content that you can use in the future. And you're getting people to engage authentically with what your business is about. Gotcha. Yeah. That was going to be my question. So what I'm learning is asking people, it's like, like save and tag a friend in the comments is not a good idea, but you could be like, Hey, comment. I love this podcast. And then you're entered like something like that. It's, it's getting them to do some sort of action, but we're not asking them to like give us their contacts or whatever. 
that would be okay. Yeah. And it's also okay to say like, save, tag a friend, or go to this webpage and fill out the form. It just, they can opt. They can opt into the one that doesn't benefit you. And as long as that's an option for them, then the other ones are going to be okay. Right, Ashley? <laughs> you're, you're more of the expert than I am, but yeah. This makes me realize how almost all of the giveaways I've entered have not been set. <laughs> oh yeah, I've never. And even ones that we've done, oh, I've yeah. done. Like, I'm just like, and I did some research, but like, there's so much partial information out there. Yeah. And part of the problem is that this thing about gambling, this it's, I mean, a lot of state laws have similarly strict prohibition on gambling, but it's like Colorado state law is very clear about what lotteries and, and raffles are and other states might have different standards. So it can be hard to Google those kinds of things. So follow-up question on that. If you are doing a giveaway, I live in Colorado, but the person I'm doing it with lives in Utah. <laughs> yeah. Rules so take precedent. Have you ever noticed that like on like the boys and girls club, like dream house or like some of like those big national sweepstakes, there'll just be like a list at the end and it will say state residents of these states are excluded. And sometimes Colorado's on that list because we have yeah. really strict gambling laws. Mm -hmm. So the, the right thing to do is to either restrict it to residents of the state where you have researched the law. So to say like only Colorado residents can enter, or, you know, if you know that there's 47 states where you're legally compliant, you can have those 47 states. So that's the right thing to do. That is the textbook correct thing to do. We always talk with our clients and I would never advise anyone to break the law. But part of what we talk about with our clients is like weighing risks and understanding the consequences of illegal behavior and making a decision that's right to you about how to move forward. So if you, if somebody asked me for legal advice, I would say restrict it to Colorado residents because we can confidently follow Colorado law. If you go out there and you allow entries from people outside Colorado and you're following Colorado law to a T, what is the likelihood of your small businesses, Instagram giveaway, like attracting the enforcement attention of like the Utah state attorney general? Uh, I don't really know, but my guess is like very close to zero. So I'm not saying that anyone should break the law, but I am saying that if you've done that, I don't want it to keep you up at night because I really don't think in other states and it's the attorney general typically that will like enforce laws like this. I don't think they're coming for you, but now, you know, <laughs> that's the best practice. So for my influencer friends out there, because I have very many, the newest, it's not new, but like the current trend is to be a part of these giveaway groups. Mm -hmm. or these giveaway mm -hmm. feeds or threads. And, you know, it's like 12 people follow all these people. They're all over the country, sometimes international to get like a Louis Vuitton purse or a Peloton bike or like all these different things. Be wary when you join groups like that. Like this is information that makes me really rethink some of the ways that I've done. <laughs> and mine are like, you know, it doesn't matter how small or large it is. Like it's still legal. It's still law and regulated. So just influence and that risk, that risk that Ali's referring to, it increases the larger and more, the larger you get and the more attention you attract. And we want all of the people listening to this podcast to totally blow up in their businesses and become really, really successful. So it makes sense to build the practice now where you're complying and you're not likely to get audited or enforced against down the line. Is there any risk in entering giveaways? 
that have like if we have this knowledge you know know better do better like <laughs> i'm not going to be that karen <laughs> people be like listen listen to the episode you need to listen to this episode maybe I'll you need to that. talk to ali and ashley <laughs> like your giveaway is not set up correctly <laughs> i would say like the enforcement authorities that are set up to deal with these things are like their consumer protection enforcement authorities yeah. so they're not coming after consumers that are participating in things like this although like when you get into a position where as a consumer you're like inviting other people to participate that's maybe not great and some things feel like outright scammy right if something if you're like my scam radar is going off here. Like, please do not share that. But like, if, if you've just, you know, shared somebody's post to enter their giveaway and really that actually violates, you know, the way their giveaway structured violates Cardo's gambling law, that is not going to be your problem as the person who's shared the post. I wanted to give our, all of our <laughs> listeners like both sides of that issue. <laughs> what about a quick comment on disclaimers, especially for all my fellow health and wellness. You know, I'm a health coach and integrative health practitioner. I'm talking about supplements and all these things. So Ashley, that's one of the things I learned from you is like disclaimers are my friend. So how can we use disclaimers sure <laughs> um, just to set ourselves up? Like when we're sharing information on stories or like I'm, I'm trying to start up um, making some short videos to send to my email list where I'm just doing like quick tips or whatever. And I've got my disclaimer down to a T. So talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So this is one of those things that varies a lot state to state. Different states regulate health and wellness industries. Complementary and alternative medicines, CAM is the word I learned recently. Mm -hmm. They alternate that industry differently state to state. And the law that is going to apply is both the law of Colorado, if you're a health coach in Colorado, and the law of the state wherever your client or your audiences. And so that means that it's murky. It's going to be murky to know exactly where to draw lines in terms of what you can and cannot do. But a few things that are across the board true is that health coaches are not doctors and they're not therapists and they're not lawyers and they're not CPAs. And so if you're doing any kind of work that's kind of high touch and you're getting confidential information from your clients, the more that what you're doing starts to look like that, the more it starts to look like the practice of medicine, potentially, the more important it is to say, I am a health coach. I am not engaged in the practice of medicine. I can't prescribe, diagnose, or treat any condition. And this is, you'll hear Ali and I saying this all the time, actually the state-specific licensing rec requirements for health coaches are kind of similar to the requirements for lawyers, except more rules on us. But you'll hear us all the time saying, this is for information purposes. And in fact, this podcast, everything we're saying <laughs> here is for information purposes. We already have not engaged. <laughs> I already have that written for a preview. <laughs> so like, that's a big one. Just saying like, I'm here to educate. Really, I'm not providing information. It shouldn't be taken as medical advice or therapeutic help. Or if you're a business coach, lawyering and accounting are the things that could sometimes be confused with what you're doing. Ashley like totally framed up the most important part of the disclaimer. I think the second part that's really important is, and you should talk to that person, your doctor, your lawyer, your accountant, before you do the things that I suggest, because that is the person who is licensed and qualified to tell you about how you take care of yourself or your business. So you also want to tell people as a health coach, like I'm going to make suggestions. They're based on my, you know, my perspective as somebody who's an expert on wellness or somebody who's an expert on sleep. I am not a physician. A physician needs to manage all of your medical care and you need to talk to 
your physician about implementing my recommendations because they're the person who knows all of the prescription drugs that you take, all of your comorbidities. I don't know those things. And I also can't manage those things, even if I do know them. So your doctor needs to talk to you too. And then just to come back to our influencers, because it is such a thing right now for influencers that are promoting a product, maybe in that wellness space. I'm, I'm, I don't know if you could hear me rolling my eyes listener, but I I mean, I, I have exited network marketing. I'm a big fan of network marketing. It's an opportunity for a lot of people, but there's a lot of companies like that or influencers that promote gummies or vitamins or whatever. What is the liability in the info on the influencer when they're promoting stuff like that? Should they be making disclaimers themselves or at least repeating the disclaimers of the company that they're promoting? Where does that fall? They can absolutely be liable. A hundred percent. There are some, so most of this is going to fall under the federal trade commission, the FTC and the FTC has some guides for influencers, which all influencers should read. And there's also an Instagram, another attorney is based out of California. His name is Robert Freund. And I can send it. I don't know if you guys have show notes, but I can send you his handle. He like posts about FTC enforcement actions against influencers. Super fascinating. But the big things like dive into those FTC rules so that you understand them. But the big things to be wary of, do not promise results. Don't, don't really talk about results. <laughs> like you can so say before and afters are like a no go. Yeah. And I, there are specific rules actually about before and afters. So that's like something to, to look into because they're not strictly prohibited. Um, but you, they're absolutely prohibited if they're false. Don't do it. Say anything that's incorrect or untrue or like misleading, like by taking a picture, two pictures on the same day, one where you're sucking your stomach in and one where you're not (laughs) that stuff. Like the FTC prohibits that kind of stuff, but don't like talk broadly about the results that people can expect. And this is a good rule sort of for everybody is don't guarantee results. Explain what the process is of working with you or explain why the gummy like tastes good (laughs) or explain what's in the gummy but don't like tell people that when they take the gummy, then they're going to lose 10 pounds or they're going to have great energy and increase libido and be three IQ points smarter. Like don't promise results. <laughs> That's my big takeaway, but also read those FTC guides. Yeah. That resonates a lot. Cause one of the things that I'm trained to do is to help people complete a seven, 14 or 21 day functional medicine detox. And it's a proper liver detox. And when I talk about it, I, I go into detail of like, this is what liver detoxification is. These are the nutrients that are needed for phase one and phase two, but it is, it has been an interesting journey figuring out, okay, like, what can I say? Cause here are some things that could happen. You know, like some people do lose seven pounds in 10 days or whatever, but like the weight loss isn't the goal of the detox. It's just a happy side effect sometimes, but it is like figuring out like, okay, how do I present this? Like, this is good for your health, but Yeah. And you can honestly describe your results or as the person who's experienced them, but don't say this is what you should expect, right? Attorneys always have personal injury attorneys always say past performance does is not an indicator of future results. Like they'll use that disclaimer, like, you know, on, on lawyers (laughs) ads, but that's sort of the same. Like you don't want to lead people to believe they're going to lose seven pounds. You can say I did this and I lost seven pounds. If that is in fact true, but don't tell them what they're experience. Can people utilize customer reviews to, to show results? Like my cl- clients lose on average this many pounds or when they the complete client, it 21 like, days. Or the client writes the review for right. you. It's in yeah. their words. 
even if they yeah or whatever like is that is that proof of of result really generally and have your clients speak to their subjective experience as long as a person who's reading the review wouldn't read it as an objective claim that that is what is promised to happen mm -hmm. by participating in your program or taking your product. Similarly, you don't want testimonials to read so that anybody who's reading them would think that you could provide medical advice or that what you're doing is like therapy. You don't want the testimonials to start blurring the lines between what you do and a much more regulated industry. Yeah. Language is important. So much to think about. Yeah. Words matter. <laughs> well, we could probably keep going forever, but before we go, we like to ask all of our guests. So we'll have each of you answer. What is your all time favorite life hack? And it could have, it doesn't have to have anything to do with our topic today. It could just be, you know, what's helped you most in life. What I want to say is put jams on jam on your eggs and toast, but that's not actually the thing that's helped me the most in life. Although I do recommend that. Um, no results guaranteed, but I do recommend delicious. <laughs> the thing that's helped me the most in life truly is it is remembering that there's a child in here, that there's a little kid who is deserving of love and acceptance and to be really kind or to practice leaning towards kindness in the way that I talk to myself. Mine is like a right now answer, but it comes from the book Essentialism, which is that every time you say yes to something, identify what it is that you're saying no to in order to say yes, because I'm way too quick to say yes and way too slow to say no. <laughs> I love that. I love both of those and the jam. I'm hungry. So that sounds <laughs> Damn. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, thank you so much for your time today and unpacking all that stuff. This is going to be a must listen for, we're going to have to force send this to like all the, all of our social media <laughs> Cause I mean, I imagine there's so much more to learn, but thank you for your time. What's the best way? I mean, I know I love the content you two put out on Instagram, but where's, how's the best way to get engaged with your community or work with you? I would definitely say following us on Instagram at Creatives Learn Law. Our website, creativeslearn.com is a good place too. And then Allie, will you tell them about the Facebook group? Yeah. So we have a, a local Facebook group for Colorado creative business owners called the Colorado Creative Business Collaborative that we co-administer with some like marketing strategy people, some financial people to kind of help provide some business support. And we would love to have you there. Well, thank you so much. And we're hopeful that in the future, you two will pop back up in our community, maybe with some workshops and things. So this definitely won't be the last we see or hear from you. But thank you again for your time. And for everyone out there listening, don't forget to stay curious. Disclaimer, this podcast is produced for your universal listening pleasure. Any statements shared during our program are opinions and experiences of our team and guests. If you disagree with any content presented herein, please find another show before submitting nasty grams. This is a positive vibes only platform. If you love our show and want to connect, share your experiences, or know someone who we should interview on future episodes, please don't hesitate to get in touch through our website or Instagram. Thanks for listening to this program brought to you by Daydreamer Network. If you enjoyed the episode, please don't forget to rate and review on Apple Podcasts or your preferred platform. Your feedback allows us to rank on the best new shows list and continue to grow our podcasts in order to bring more unique and talented storytellers to the network. To check out our shows, including programs about relationships, sports, business, nutrition, leisure, and more, head to www.daydreamernetwork.com. 
We look forward to seeing you back next week for another great episode. Have a wonderful day.